This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome, everybody, to What's in Store, the show where we unpack hot topics at the cross-section of retail and real estate. I'm Carly Iacono, Senior Vice President at CBRE, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Ressa, the COO of DLC. Welcome, Chris. Great to see you. How's life? Great to see you. I just got back from uh, the Florida Keys. Have you been? Oh, I have been to the Florida Keys. Last year, I had the pleasure of going to Key West and Isla Mirada. I hit the keys twice last year, but it's been a while. I, How was your trip? I, it was good. I forgot. We we, we went to the Florida Keys we actually there. on a yeah. business trip to, uh, together, a big group of us. Uh, we were I in won't Key take West that personally. It's fine. Stark and Stark best practices. But my wife and I went to Marathon, Florida. We did this swimming with dolphins thing at the oh, Dolphins Research Center. Mm-hmm unexpected how much I enjoyed swimming with dolphins. It was the coolest thing. My one, my one friend, I told him, he's like, how was, how was marathon? I said, it was great. I told him about this swim with dolphins and that, and he, and he wrote back in a text message to me. He goes, the way you're built, poor dolphin. And I started dying. <laughs> it's like, he had to carry you around through that whole thing. You gotta be dolphin abuse. Dolphin uh, abuse. But it was, it was so fun for you. Yeah. Fun for you. Maybe not. For- That's right. <laughs> You open the door. I'm just walking through. Love it. We went skiing, just got back from Breckenridge with the kids. And I feel like. Breckenridge. Oh, you went skiing. We went, when we go, we go. Uh, We rocked it. It was amazing. Getting back, not so fun, but uh, we made it. We're here. All right, let's jump in. We have a really interesting episode. I feel like I say that every month because they are different and interesting. But this month is a little bit different. So for everyone listening, what we're going to cover today are the top three questions both Chris and I get asked in our respective line of work. So we're going to start with Chris's top three questions he gets asked most, which are by nature of his business, of course, mostly leasing and tenant related. And then my top three questions are interest rate and capital markets related, which we'll cover in the second half of the show. So let's jump in. What is Chris? one of the top three things that you get asked every day. Yeah. So the first one is how have leases changed since COVID? And I get asked this, you could be at a dinner party, right? And I think no matter what industry you're in, people are like, so how's your business changed since COVID? Like, and they don't know about our industry. They're not in it. Like that's a common one, but a little bit more granular is how the leases have changed. So I answered generally by and large, there, it, it's not drastic. There hasn't been drastic changes. I think there was headline news and media around that the nature of leases are going to totally change. They're going to be these flexible documents on a go forward. And I would say just the quite opposites happened. And I've mentioned this before, but I think the most flexible thing that people were talking about was the term of the leases. And people were thinking that leases were going to be more shorter term, more flexible. And it's not the case. There's a lot of longer term leases. In fact, 
longer term driven by retailers and tenants often. I have not had more, you know, what we call blend and extend requests in my tenure in this industry than over the last few months. I think construction costs are so high and people don't want to relocate stores. There's no new build. Uh, they don't want to relocate. There's no new build. And so they're staying in place. So they're trying to lock up long-term at the best rate they possibly can. So they can get their footprint in that market. Um, so by and large, there are a couple things. We can talk about a couple of provisions that I see that have been changed, but by and large, there's been very little. And I think the one that people are thinking in the back of their head when they ask the question on the flexibility and term has the opposite has happened. Do you think that's because, well, we thought at one point leases were going to be all CPI driven. So the rent increases were going to be tied to CPI. I haven't seen that become the case in most leases. Have you, are you still seeing mostly fixed rent increases in leases? Or are you yeah, so CPI? I think I, and I think the biggest burden with the CPI piece in, in, in a lease is neither party wants to administer it and like have to calculate what is the rent now, right? right? It's no different than the fair market value in a, options in a, that come up in leases. It's, it's now you have to have this administrative burden. There's a cost to both parties to just figure out what the rent is in the lease. And so I think that's always on both parties. It, it typically goes away. I think people on the landlord side want to get as large of increases as possible, try to match or beat inflation and, and, and tenants want to try inherently to make sure their increases are as low as possible. But I, I didn't see a lot of CPI. And I think the major reason for the CPI piece is it is too hard to administer. And I think that could be why we're seeing longer term leases because tenants are more comfortable with the predictability of the fixed rates, especially given our inflationary environment. So if CPI increases were not instituted widely and we have what everybody agrees are reasonable annual increases or every five years, then that's actually more beneficial to the tenant because they don't have to face a complete rent reset in five years. Maybe they're doing a 10 year base term and two you know, five year options. So they're controlling it at a fixed level for a longer period of time. So I, I can see where they would want that security. Whereas three years ago, we thought it was gonna be all about flexibility and now given inflation, it's we want long-term predictability without these massive rent resets. Yeah, certainly. And I think you hit on a point that's interesting, which is one of the things I was saying in the middle of COVID when people were talking about that, I was like, wait a second, if you're in a growing business and your business is doing well, what you want to do is lock in as long a term as possible at as low as cost as possible. You don't want to have it flexible and give the upside to somebody else of your business. And to, that's why the mature and growing companies have always wanted to control real estate and lock it up as long as possible. Um, and they would give up that flexibility because they don't want to give up the upside in their sales to somebody else. I do think the inflation is a part. I do think definitely construction costs. I do think there's no, there's very limited new product coming out of the ground 
And given the occupancy rates in our industry, there's nowhere to move to. So the fear of closing a store and losing that market is strong and they want to put a, a real strong foothold on that market. Right, right. So leases have changed, but not in the ways we thought they were going to at the start of the pandemic. Yes. Good discussion point. All right, number two, what is the second most common thing that you get asked? You know, is the pool of tenants decreasing? And the answer is pool of tenants is increasing. People try to, every time there's headline news around a store closure, they think, you know, there might be, or, or a retailer in trouble, a retailer in trouble, you, I think it goes into people's heads like, you know, the tenant pool might be decreasing. But the new business formation that we saw in the pandemic, and obviously it's not as high anymore, but the lack of uh, physical product coupled with the, the business formation, coupled with just innovation and all these new concepts and to boot, coupled with the online stores opening physical stores, the tenants are different. Some of the uses are different. We have more service and medical than we had previously, more entertainment, more experience driven, but there are a, a myriad of new uses and the tenant pool is increasing uh, and not decreasing. And I think you touched on something really important that I just wanna highlight. It's the expansion of the definition of retail. So yeah. medical, entertainment, all these things that had you know different, very different footprints 10 years ago, now we're coming into retail centers and retail spaces. So it's not just that our core retail tenants are expanding, which they are, they can find space, but also that the overall definition is expanding. So we have a much broader tenant pool overall. Yeah, the explosion of restaurant fitness. I mean, there's a, there, there's restaurant fitness, medical feels like it's in almost every center in America, right? Like the expansion of this. And those are just three categories. Exactly. All right, let's move on to number three. This is a, a headline buster. Go for it. That's <laughs> yeah, I get this all the time. I've gotten this for a while, you know, and, and they go and people will be like, so how's e-commerce been hurting your business? What a pointed question. And the, the reality is, and our CEO Adam Ipshin said this is, turned out the way it's played out is the physical store has been the solution to e-commerce, not the victim. And, and so, and, and that's the, the, the bottom line with, you know, the closest real estate to the consumer is retail real estate and all these, um, e-commerce businesses want to get closer to the consumer and they're using physical presence, retail, real estate to do that. And that's going to continue to grow, um, especially as it, you know, the cost of last mile delivery just doesn't seem to want to come down. It only goes up. So uh, the, the, the reality is there's been disruption, no doubt. This disruption started a while ago and it's been evolving. And we're now at a tipping point where physical retail has been a solution for e-commerce 
whether that's by digitally native brands opening stores, whether that's by mature physical retailers who have e-commerce businesses fulfilling from store, whether that is, you know, the small micro fulfillment centers that come into retail properties every now and then, whatever it may be, physical retail has been a solution, right? And, and you could come up with that solution in a myriad of ways, right? If you're walking down the street, you go online to order your Starbucks so you can walk right in and pick up your st Starbucks at the, at the physical counter. Without that physical counter, you don't have a cup of coffee from there. So uh, physical retail has been the solution, not the victim to e-commerce. I think that's the quote of 23, <laughs> maybe 22. That's, that's just such a great line. And I think really sums up all the changes we're seeing in distribution and you know how the, the actual endpoint is crucial. That's where it all comes together. Like you just said for your Starbucks, you're still walking up and picking up that cup of coffee. Rarely is it delivered to you. So yeah, and and I mean that we're always going to have delivery, right? And I think delivery is a good solution. But what we're starting to see, especially by the pressure put on Wall Street onto brands to be profitable, convenience is going to have a cost. And we're starting to see that cost. And I say this all the time, just get a, get a, whether it's whatever brand you want to use to deliver the coffee, whatever delivery program, deliver a cup of coffee to your house. It's like 24, $25 to do that. Like, and, and it might be a little different in your neighborhood, depending on how close you live to the store, but that's a lot of money for anybody to pay for a cup of coffee. That doesn't make economic sense. And the cost of gas, and the time to go pick that up is significantly less than having it delivered. So there's a cost of convenience and we're starting to see the consumer have to pay the burden of that. And that's only going to accelerate, not going to decelerate. And I would say even if they are willing to pay for this cost of convenience, as you call it, a lot of these deliveries are being done by third parties that are going to the physical locations to pick up the good. Right? There you go. So even if you're getting it delivered, you're still you're not going to a back warehouse. If you know DoorDash is picking up your Starbucks, they're going to go to Starbucks, pick it up, and deliver it to you. So, I think uh, either way, right? Either way, physical retail wins. Yes. Love it. All right. Glad to hear everything is good in your your tenant retail world. Let's move on to the questions I'm getting asked on capital markets. So let's do it. This is uh, slightly more challenging, although not all negative. Let's start with the number one question I get asked, which is, will cap rates go back to where they were in 2021, peak levels, peak cap rate compression? I'm going to say no, just pretty simply. All right, let's move on to question two. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, it, so cap rates were overall retail cap rates were 5%. Now, this is a lot of variation in different deals, of course, right? A 20-year investment grade single tenant deal is going to trade different than a local strip center with no national tenants. So as with any data source, you kind of have to dive in a little bit deeper. But overall retail cap rates were 5% in 2021. That went to 5.85 at the end of 22. And we're now predicting it to go up to 644 by the end of the second quarter of 23. So we've already had over 100 basis points of expansion, and we're expecting more now. Do we think that they might come back a little bit? Yes. But unless we see a 10-year treasury that's 0.9 or 1%, like we had in 2021, 
I don't think we get back to some of these crazy sub four cap, low four cap uh, cap rates that we had. I just don't think that the market gets there again in this cycle. So do we think we're going to get back to where we were? I think it would be extremely difficult unless uh, there was a major turnaround with the, the monetary policy. Any comments on cap rates? Uh, I think it depends on time horizon that we're talking about. Like, I don't, in the, if you were talking about the next 50 years, I probably odds are they'll come back down at some point, right? If we're talking about in a much tighter time window, call it the next three years, I think it's probably fair to say that cap, cap rates are, um, you know, it's going to be hard to get back to that level, right? So I think the time period matters. Sure. I think certain, you know, I think certain product types in that subsector overall, I think you're right. I think certain product types in the subsector probably hold for a little bit because they're just so strong of a tenant or a brand, right? You know, is McDonald's cap rates up maybe, but like they're still going to be lower than other competitors probably because of their, uh, you know, their credit worthiness. So, but overall, I think, you know, unless we see something in the short term that happens with monetary policy, it's hard to envision that cap rates compress to that level. Will they come back? So I think to me, what they should be asking you is, will they come down? Will they get back to 2021? I don't know, but will they come down? I think there's an argument to me at some point that they'll be that you could, might be less than they are today. You know, could you see them be less than they are today in a year? Is that, could you see that? I think it depends on how high the 10 year treasury goes because we're reading, we'll touch on this in a minute, but we're reaching an inflection point with financing that it's just kind of grinding everything to a halt. So there has to be a little more expansion to make more deals financeable before they can come back down. So do I think they'll come, do I think they're gonna go up a little more? Yes, and then potentially come back down at the end of 23? Absolutely, hopefully, but how much farther down? Do we get sure. to 21 levels? I don't think so. Do we get to where we are right now and maybe even a little better? Probably, right? So come down is such a relative uh, thing. So from what data point? So sure. I think we're gonna expand a little more and then come back in. And to your other point, I think it's important to look at that McDonald's cap rate to McDonald's cap rate. Can you find a you know four and a half cap deal that still is worth it, right? For the tenant, the lease term? Yeah, I can think of a few. But would that deal have been at a four or three, seven, five a year ago? Possibly, right? So it's relative to your type of investment. How has the cap rate expanded? Not relative to anything in the market. Yeah. And I think enough. it's certainly expanded. So the second question, which kind of dovetails off the first, is how have interest rates impacted the market? And I think something really important to look at here is the spread between the 10-year treasury and cap rates. So we're at 215 basis points roughly right now, end of uh, 2022, above the 10-year treasury. That is the tightest spread we've seen since 2008. So how, and what that tells you is how much farther can, can that condense, right? If you're only 215 basis points from the average retail cap rate above the 10-year treasury, where do you go from here? So that spread was well over 400 basis points just a few years ago. So very material difference. So what this is causing is really an illiquidity event in the market. 
we don't have a lot of lenders who are active. The ones that are, are bringing in their loan to values. We just have a, a sort of a time in the market where it's very difficult to finance deals. A lot of the lower price point deals are still being bought by all cash buyers. Buyer demand is sort of unwavering, but how do you get the deal financed is the challenge right now. So interest rates are impacting the market because they're they're slowing down transaction velocity because of negative leverage, meaning you, you're actually coming out of pocket in some cases to finance a deal instead of it adding to your overall return, instead of the financing being accretive. So I think we're going to continue to see that unless we see cap rate expansion that exceeds the increase in the interest rates, we're going to continue to have a very tight market from a financing perspective. And I think we're going to see that for the next few quarters, then hopefully things will stabilize a bit. Are you being impacted by by interest rates at all, Chris, in your business? I think everyone is. I think for sure what comes to mind is, you know, it's a good time to have really strong relationships with your lenders who want to continue to make sure they do business with you for sure. Um, it's, it's like you said, the buyer appetites, you said unwavering, it's like insatiable, yeah. but um, the modeling, the deal, the pencil is, is really challenging. And there's a, there's a myriad of ways that that can happen. And, I think one of the ways you're probably right that you hit on that you're going to see and what's going to have to loosen given that we don't expect monetary policy to go back to the old way anytime soon is that the pricing on the deals and the cap rates are going to have to move you would think and we are seeing a lot of creative solutions um at least people are trying right seller financing uh, sort of a mid mez piece of debt like anything buyers can do to get deals that they really want um, but it's very difficult to get those kind of deals over the finish line so buyer demand remains, remains strong i am confident in investors creativity and ability to get things done when they want but it's certainly more challenging from a traditional lending standpoint right now how you know we're obviously seeing headline news what's what's the carly take on transaction volume between now and 12 months from now i think we're i mean we're certainly down in terms of velocity across capital markets broadly retail is no exception all asset classes are down in terms of overall velocity but because the buyer demand is so strong and retail fundamentals are so strong which is my third thing i get asked all the time I think we're going to see that loosen second half of the year. Right now, everyone's just sort of the sellers don't want to sell unless they have to. The buyers are kind of waiting. We're still in that like give and take. There's a lot of bifurcation between seller and buyer expectations right now. But people still want to move things forward. So when we have a motivated seller, meaning they're willing to work with the market, work with the buyer, get creative on financing, those deals are absolutely trading. And we're seeing more and more sellers like that. When we have just straight cap rate buyers or sellers, those deals are, are very sluggish right now. So if you build something and your exit cap is four and a half in your mind and that's what you need to get, those deals are tough to get done right now. If you have a buyer that is maybe in a considering a sale lease back or structuring something a little bit different, absolutely tons of demand and those deals are moving forward efficiently. So I think it depends on what type of deal we're talking about. And again, the, the time frame for a sale. 
I'm going to ask another. I'm going to add to your three questions. I'm going to be like your top five. So that was that was your fourth transaction volume. About transaction time, how long it takes to get the deal done. What are you seeing there right now? So it depends if it's financed or not. The all cash deals are, are standard net lease time frames, 30 days due diligence, 15 or 21 days to close, like best case scenario, right? If there's any sort of environmental concern or if the deal is being financed, that due diligence is getting pushed out, not on the front end, but by way of optional extensions. So maybe 45 days due diligence and 30 days to close, or maybe you keep it really tight at the beginning and then you do an optional extension that both sides have to agree to if you can show that progress is being made. So I think it's honestly less of an elongated time frame. That was more of a COVID situation because you couldn't get surveys done. You couldn't, townships weren't open for approvals, for development, things like that. So I'm not seeing that be the main um, concern right now. It's more uh, the lenders. So if it is being financed, they need a little more time, or maybe the buyer has to go to more lenders to get terms that actually work for the deal. It's less straightforward. But in terms of third parties, that's actually improved in the last two years. Are you, so are you not seeing a ton of like, op, you know, extension options being popped? I'm seeing it be requested by buyers. Um, and I think that's really the, the key right now is collaborative buyers and sellers are getting things done. So if a seller says, I, I'm willing to sell at XYZ price, the buyer says, great. And then there's a hiccup. Whereas a year and a half ago, that seller might have said, absolutely not. I'm not giving you another two weeks in your due diligence. I'm not giving you any, any more time. I'm not changing anything about the deal. Now, that seller hopefully will say, okay, how do we work through this? You still want the deal. I still want to sell it to you. Let's be a little more collaborative and see if we can figure it out. So the mindset has shifted and those are the deals that are getting done. It's not a hard line. I'm sticking to XYZ timeframe. It's whatever comes up, whether it be financing related, tenant related, whatever it is, if we're willing to focus and work on it together, then there hopefully typically is a path forward. Got it. And then the the last question, last actually my third one, which I kind of I kind of glossed over, but I just it's so positive. I'd want to touch on it. Is it a good time to buy retail? So all of this aside, right? The the financing piece is challenging. We've hammered this and hammered it. It's true. Is what it is. The the key here though, our retail fundamentals remain the strongest they have been many many years. And we've touched on this in previous episodes, but I think it really bears ending on this point because it's so important. Rents are growing occupancy is at historically low levels. We have very, very limited new completions because of the high cost of construction. So there's limited product on the market, limited availability of quality product, and the actual fundamentals for the sites, you know, the retail sites, even single tenant too, that are existing are have never been stronger. So we're seeing a lot of people, especially given the volatility of the stock market, look at retail and say, hmm, this checks a lot of the boxes for what I'm looking for. It's going to be a little rocky for the financing piece for the next you know, few years, potentially, hopefully not quite that long. But this is a solid asset and it's an asset class that continues to improve. And I think that's really the gold star here, right? That's what we are focused on. Getting the deals done is tough, but owning the assets is, is a very positive thing. Yeah, I, for sure. I, I think the fundamentals of retail have never been stronger and we've touched on this and you said it perfectly. I think, and when you bring on the, the negative of retail, if you think about some struggling retailers, 
you know, there's been a lot of noise around like Bed Bath and Beyond right now, right? We we, mm-hmm. we keep hearing about Bed Bath and Beyond, and I think people were surprised at their ability to can you know to extend out and get another um, opportunity to try to reinvent themselves with the new financing they got, and it it reminds me, and I haven't heard this a lot. It reminds me a bit of Sears. Mm, interesting. Who was, you know, left for, you know, you know, everyone kind of put them, you know, in their rear view mirror for so long yet. And everyone's like, ah, they're not going to make it. They're going to go away. And then like 30 years later, here <laughs> they still were. That's right. right. So and, long. They held on. And they held on. It takes a lot to take down a retailer. And there's a lot of reasons why, but it's really hard to really, for like such a successful, that for a brand that was successful for a long time, and as all the access that they've had and cash flow that continues to come in through the door, um, it, it's hard to take down a retailer. And I think, you know, uh, Bed Bath is proving this with their resilience here. No matter what, you know, headline news, you know, the, a lot of the street for a while hasn't been happy with them. And there's been, you know, a lot of negative news about them. But that, what what I said to myself when I saw they got this new financing and they, they didn't end up like, you know, filing or something like that yet, it was like, I'm surprised I am surprised. Right. I was surprised. I'm surprised right. I'm surprised because I know how hard it is to take down a retailer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's reminding me of Sears. Like, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Next you wake up, it's like five years later. It still hasn't happened yet. Right. And like, right. I don't know that that's going to be Bed Bath, but man, it's hard to take down a retailer. Hard to bet against it. That's a great uh, data point. Great story. Yeah. So. All right. I think that's a wrap for today. We covered a lot of good stuff for everyone listening. That was what's in store. We're so glad you could join us and we look forward to seeing you again next month. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, Carly. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.